0: Welcome, welcome everyone. Welcome to the first year's episode of Unsavory Politique. I am your host, Jamar Jabari, who is also host of Jabari Voc Podcast. And this is a segment, a part of the Jabari Voc Podcast, where we talk about um, very, very important issues. And I want to talk about Venezuela today, and we're going to talk about Alex Saab's case Uh, We're going to get into a little bit about US imperialism as well too. And before I introduce my guest, I want to play this amazing video, um, amazing speech uh, that he gave. And I hope a lot of people are inspired by this speech just as much as I was.
1: That out there Uhuru My name is Alex Suarez and I'm here today to express my utmost support and solidarity with the Uhuru movement, its leadership, its courage, and its example to us all as a Latino and a son of an immigrant, who brought proudly bears indigenous blood. I believe the solidarity and unity among our people, black and brown, as well as the other so-called minorities, red, yellow, etc., is essential to this fight as a vanguard working on behalf of the plight of the oppressed. I say so-called, as I laid out in my speech in St. Augustine, Florida, a state where people of mixed Seminole and black, background defeat of the U.S. Army in three wars, largely covered up, the day after being tear gassed in Jacksonville for peacefully protesting for black lives three and a half years ago, as we saw in much of the country, I stressed we colonized people are in actuality a majority of the world population. Indeed, when Trump has used the slogan, make America great again, to us, this has meant make America white again. Many of the Republicans themselves have used this latter slogan, and the betrayal from the Democrats on our people we have felt deeply as well. The fear of, in a couple of generations, the colonized people being majority, along with ideological unity, while the white population then being a minority, scares the bourgeois whites who ultimately control Washington. Where better to express this than the imperial capital of the U.S.? We see an abundance of architecture in the Greco-Romano styles of the ancient empires here. We are in the belly of the beast, where we have vast economic inequality. Where, just a few steps from the Senate, is mass homelessness and houselessness and poverty we see at the level of the so-called third world. Where even in much of that so-called third world, there are better programs to uplift those people. I am here today, comrades, brothers and sisters, to share a vision, not a quixotic dream, but a vision based on realism.
0: Peace, peace, Alex Suarez. You said that um, you weren't able to hear the video.
2: Yeah, since I couldn't hear it that well, um, I don't know if the comrades could hear it that well either. And sometimes when you add the subtitles, it doesn't really exactly convey what was yeah. said either what i can do now is look up on my blog the text of the speech that i gave at the black is, uh black coalition event of november uh, 4th in dc i can go back to the blog and read this, the speech for everyone so that people can get an idea of my uh positions and alex sobs mentioned in the speech as well uh do you want me to go ahead and look that up so i can go ahead and read that live
0: yeah go right ahead
2: While I'm looking that up, go ahead and tell people, uh, you know, who I am, uh, you know, some of what I do so they can have a better idea, save some time.
0: So without further ado, I'm sorry about the technical difficulties, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Here is Alex Suarez, who is a historian. Am I saying your name correctly? I want to always be. Yeah, Suarez
2: or Suarez. Better (laughs) than Suarez. Sometimes they say Suarez (laughs) or even worse, Suarez. (laughs)
0: And swear when they say
2: Suarez, I'm like, um, I don't swear that often.
0: <laughs>
2: you know, it's how a lot of the gringos pronounce it.
0: <laughs> but here's activist, writer, and historian. Um, he was also a part of the the case with uh, Julian Assange as well, too. Um, so that and- up, yes. Great, great, great background Over 20 years um, Of activism and being a part Of the struggle um, So I'm very, very, very Very excited to well, be. Well, I, I also want watch.
2: to read before I read the speech My description of an image I have With Chairman O'Malley, a man I Admire tremendously Yeah, go ahead um, So it says uh, Chairman O'Malley and myself After he gave, gave his third speech That day and let a march for an hour From Malcolm X Park to the White House with incredible vitality, he's 82. I will to- I'll told our chairman about how my grandpa was born on October 9th like him. He told me his wife was also born then and we talked about how that was when we commemorate the death of Che Guevara. He often cites dates in his speeches such as the fact Malcolm X was born in 25, the same year Marcus Garvey was arrested and Malcolm's parents were Garveyites. I also found that recently the late, great journalist and Assange supporter, John Pilger, was born on October 9th. Uh, he was uh, three years older than the chairman. Oh, wow. Uh, so I can go ahead into to the speech now. Yep. My name is Alex Suarez, and I'm here today to express my utmost support and solidarity with the Huru movement, its leadership, its courage, its example to us all. As a Latino, a son of an immigrant who proudly bears indigenous blood, I believe the solidarity and unity among our people, black and brown, as well as the other so-called minorities, red, yellow, etc is essential to this fight as a vanguard working in behalf of the plight of the oppressed, the working class and poor of this imperial nation. I say so-called since as I laid out in my speech in St. Augustine, Florida, a state where people of mixed, seminal and black background defeated the U.S. Army in three wars, largely covered up. The day after being tear-gassed in Jacksonville for peacefully protesting for black lives three and a half years ago, as we saw in much of the country, I stressed we colonized people are in actuality a majority of the world population. Indeed, when Trump has used the slogan, make America great again, to us this has meant make America white again. Many of the Republicans themselves have used the latter slogan and the betrayal from the Democrats on our people we have felt deeply as well. The fear of, in a couple generations, the colonized people being a majority, along with ideological unity, while the white population then being a minority, scares the bourgeois whites who ultimately control Washington. We're better to express this than the imperial capital of the U.S. We see an abundance of architecture in the Greco-Roman, Greco-Romano styles of the ancient empires here. We are in the belly of the beast, where we have vast economic inequality. Just A few steps from the Senate is mass homelessness and houselessness and poverty we see at the level of the so-called third world. Or even in much of that so-called third world, there are better programs to uplift those people. I'm here today, comrades, brothers and sisters, to share a vision, not a exotic dream, but a vision based on realism, accompanied by optimism. The forces of reaction, the imperial colonial forces, are losing their grip in Latin America, in Africa, in Asia. Here, too, in the U.S., the deception of the masses is failing which is why they desperately go after the Uhuru Three with such a weak case and conduct mass censorship here in Imperial North America, which includes Canada, also a colonial state. In my 22 years of activism, never I've been part of a movement as important as this with the potential to grow, and as the Imperial government attacks us, we respond and become stronger. The youth, the few generations, our hope, our staff, as we continue our revolutionary journey, continue to enter the ranks. Chairman Omali Yeshotela, Represents among the last of his generation, not wiped out or imprisoned, simply for demanding the rights of his people and working with groups in order to achieve these goals this past half century. People talk in their history classes of the Panthers, of Malcolm, of King, but what the media ignores is that the struggle is continuing and that the feds are keeping up with their attacks just in the 1960s and, and 70s and other parts of our history. I have a vision that one day there won't be multiple presidential candidates, for revolutionary, some revolutionary parties. We must learn how in Latin America the true left rose up and changed the game and united in coalition all these parties behind one candidate. That they got their act together, put egos to the side, got rid of the infiltrators, and did movement building till they formed a successful campaign. I witnessed this myself two two years ago in Venezuela and when I saw their electoral process firsthand. We must learn from the example of the African Rebellions, the Latin American for much of the so called third world. We must ask. Who are the savages and who are the civilized? What people have acted in a civilized way? Where was the first civilization? You could even get into the great, into the very science of where humanity first started. My vision goes beyond unity towards solidarity. The the prosecution who persecutes under under the guise of the law, conducting lawfare like what was done with Venezuelan diplomat Alex Saab and others who have defied the U.S. empire, has claimed that this movement is divisive. Well, I say Uhuru unites us along with allies against the injustice. It is a movement of love, not hate. It speaks truth to power, not lies. Love being the guiding principle of this revolutionary uh, process in order to open the hearts and minds of future generations. Uhuru, long live the refuge, long live revolution alliance, and long live
1: Palestine.
0: Very, very, very very great speech. I got to say, I think that this gives you an eye opener on what Exactly, what people on the left stand for. Um, I want to talk about one part of your speech by the way, what okay. they
2: should stand for, right? Because not everybody, yeah, but they should you have, stand you, have for. you have the white left opportunists as well. But you know, just in case the Hulu three to this yeah. day, because we were expected maybe before we went to DC, maybe mm-hmm. in late October, uh, that, that the motion to dismiss would be decided upon to this day, all, all these months later, uh. It's still up in the air. Mm. Um, So if the judge ultimately uh, decides against the motion, then they're going to go ahead with the Uhuru Three trial. The Tampa five um, among them who were at the Black Black Coalition, two of them, that was dismissed. And of course, there was a victory since then in regards to Alex Saab. And I've been pushing Uhuru to support Alex Saab and the chairman and others in the movement in the in the African People's Socialist Party. Mm -hmm. I've been advocating for Alex Saab. but still, we don't have the victory yet of the Huru three, because it's a very serious trial, just so people understand. I didn't get into it in the speech. Um, right. two of the three, it's ultimately a death sentence. Because uh Comrade Penny Hess is in her late 70s, and as I mentioned, the chairman's eighty two years old. These sentences that could be up to 15 years, that's essentially a death sentence for two of them. Only Jesse Neville would probably still be alive mm-hmm. at the end of that sentence because he's younger, I believe he's in his 30s. Um, so it's it's a, it's a terrible uh, lawfare, as I described it, uh, that's being conducted here in the United States. For example, uh, people talk about sanctioning bank accounts of diplomats like Alex Saab and how that's terrible, but they would never do it to U.S. citizens. Right. And there's nothing they want to do with the Huru. Regions Bank closed right. down th- th- their, their their bank accounts in cahoots with the imperial government, sanctioning American citizens for for, for a viewpoint, saying that the Russian agents, because of a viewpoint on Ukraine, uh, during the special military operation this is what we're facing but but go ahead with your with your point comrade
0: yeah that i mean that 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 whole point with the ukraine um definitely showed exactly how the left was factored in america i will say um i've seen a lot of which you can share stories as well too on just how fractured the left became as soon as you ukraine became in the conversation um you mentioned also in your speech about venezuela and how you were able to witness the venezuelan process um for a quick story i know another comrade carly who i've have interviewed multiple times on this show and who has also been a part of the movement um i've been i learned a lot from her off of her journalism as well too she has also visited venezuela she got hurt while she was in venezuela and she went and got looked at at a doctor. She went to the doctor and asked the doctor, "Who do I pay for my for for, for being treated?" The doctor looked at her and laughed and said, "You Americans, you don't need to pay. It is free. It should be free."
2: <laughs> Would have been the same case in Cuba as well, which I've also been to.
0: <laughs> exactly. So I want to give that story for people that don't fully understand the reality of what Venezuela is.
2: And it's not uh, just a question of if you're a poor Venezuelan, right. do you, you get free health care. Uh, right. well, I don't want to call it free public health care. It's not out of pocket. It's guaranteed all the Venezuelan citizens. As a matter of fact, if Venezuela had went into that part of Guyana that's disputed, those mm-hmm. citizens would have benef- benefits than they have now. They're not benefiting at all from the ExxonMobil deal with the regime. Only right. the elites in Guyana are benefiting from that. I mean, I'm sure we can talk about that later in the show, but the Venezuelan system is a socialist system, much mm-hmm. like you see in Cuba and other parts of Latin America. And it's done in a democratic way, an extremely democratic way, which I was witness to myself when I went there for the first time in late 2021.
0: And what was that like? Um, did they use computers like we did or did they have the, the paper system?
2: Both. Both very oh, wow. thorough. Uh, so when you go there to the voting booth, uh, they print out how you voted. I believe mm. out of the 50 states in the union here in the in this imperial nation, only Georgia does something like that. Mm. So even in battleground states like here in Florida, uh, you don't have a right to a receipt showing how you voted. You don't have an automatic audit, all the things that they're doing in Venezuela. Um, and so um, the uh, – oh, yeah, the analogy I like to give is like when you – even buy a piece of candy in the capitalist system here, right? You're yeah. to a receipt that shows you pay 50 cents, 55 cents, whatever it was. You know, prices are going up all the time. Like, for example, at the Winn-Dixie that I go to, I'm a working class guy. I go to Winn-Dixie. tends to be cheaper. Right. Uh, they have a lot of two-for-one deals. Uh, that's a common uh, supermarket here in the South. And uh, the, just the other day, you know, the, the canned soda went on 50 cents, 75 cents. But if I bought that canned soda and I asked for a receipt, they have to give it to me. Right, I can't do that in Florida if I vote. If no. I'm at the voter booth, i sorry, sir, it's in the computer. We can't show you how you voted. Pretty easy right. to rig then, right? But right. in Venezuela, they have access to all of that. So who are we to judge? Or who is our society or our government to judge how Venezuela conducts their elections when we're having huge electoral problems here uh, that both the r- elite-run Democrats and Republicans who basically have the same foreign policy both treated Al-Qsaab tr- terribly, the Biden and the Trump regimes. Yep. And then, then the United States wants to judge how Venezuela conducts their democracy, or cover up the fact that American observers such as myself went down there. Although since I've been joining up with the Uhuru, I don't call myself American anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a Latino, um, much like uh, Uhuru, Uhuru uh, supporters or members of uh, African descent, call themselves Africans of African-American. Why add American to the title? Because American is a European in origin. It comes from Americo Vespucci who was an Italian explorer that doesn't apply to the people with indigenous roots, such as myself. I'm proudly part Inca, who are great people, advanced people. Uh, the most spoken language of any indigenous group in, in the, the Americas is Quechua, which is the language of the Incas. Yep. Which is in several South American countries, including my father's country in Peru. Who labor, Who liberated? What liberating armies were led by in Peru? Simo Boulevard. I mm-hmm. went to his grave site when I was in Venezuela. Why? Wow. Because he was Venezuelan. Right. venezuela sent to send from the liberators that freed us from the spaniards and we yeah. hold that debt to venezuela to be in solidarity
1: mm-hmm. with
2: uh, with the chavista government with legitimate government the government of maduro that alex saab had proudly represented and had defied to the end resisting torture physical torture and never giving in And for three and a half years finally he was successful in returning to his family and it was my honor to take a small part in that campaign
0: now let's take let's take it back with his case when you look in the headlines here in America, what they focus on is money. For instance, what I, they say that he secured millions of dollars for the Venezuelan regime. Uh, who was Alex Saab before Americans before the American government targeted him?
2: By the so way, I was in the courtroom and I saw the the documentation Basically, it was all supposition. That's a legal term, mm-hmm. supposition. That means that you're just guessing. You can't corroborate it with actual physical evidence. There was right. no evidence that he had these bank accounts that they're talking oh, about. Oh, it's
0: definitely over the
2: Swiss. It's <laughs> important to it understand. The Swiss did their own investigation. Because you right. know a lot of people put money in Swiss bank accounts, and they said Alex Saab has no bank account in this country. They found no. out that it was all false. This is before he was captured in 20 during wow. the hey. when he was in Cape Verde. in route, for those who are not familiar with the case to right. Iran, who were allied with Venezuela. I found out later that he actually helped to contract five... I mean, the Venezuelan government paid for it, but he used connections in the Middle East as diplomatic uh, immunity at the time, which was later mm-hmm. violated by the United States, to contract five Iranian vessels. But I remember when this happened. The United States went in international waters in an act of piracy. You want to talk about Yemenese pirates, the real pirates of the United States. They went into yeah. the international waters and captured uh three out of five of the vessels and yep. stole the oil that was by, by that. venezuela the british stole the venezuelan gold they still haven't returned it yep they're trying to try to give it to Guaido, the puppet who stole millions from the venezuelan people and and they and stole over
0: a billion in gold right an
2: academic or something i don't know what credentials he has for that although he was yeah. educated in the united states they say he was groomed from day one he went to uh george washington university i believe
0: yeah well he and was so, cia as well too
2: well yeah because the george washington university I've been there. We had an event there in DC, and that's down the street from the State Department.
1: Right.
2: Um, and everybody knows the State Department's heavily infiltrated by the CIA. They use it to recruit right. students early on, uh, including immigrant students like Guaido, who speaks perfect English. He, he pretends he doesn't, he does. Yep, um, yep. and so um, you know, they, they but still it was an incredible victory that two Iranian vessels will, in 2020 at the height of COVID when they when they captured, when they kidnapped him we uh, were able to get to Venezuelan shores. And mm-hmm. so uh, I want to be chronological here. He's en route to Venezuela. I'm sorry. He's en route to Iran from Venezuela. He's he's. Why does he end up in Cape Verde off the coast of Africa? Because he's trying to re- refuel his, his jet, his diplomatic right. jet. Uh, it's interesting because usually they would land in Algeria and then from there go on to Iran. It's not the first time he, he went to Tehran.
0: And he was uh, a diplomat. Just, just to make sure. Over. I'm sorry? He was a diplomat. Saab was a diplomat.
2: Since 2018, I'll, I'll mention why that year is important in a minute. But okay, when he was in Algeria, I'm sorry, when he was in Algerian airspace, for some reason, probably on U.S. orders, they ordered him to go back. And so they needed to refuel. Mm-hmm. So Cape Verde was all set up already. The, immediately, as soon as they arrived in the airport, they, they boarded the plane. They captured him without an Interpol notice, uh, completely legally, just on orders from the Trump regime. Um, and so they, 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 tortured him. Uh, these are us agents on strict us orders. Um, and he did not give in. He was tortured for at least five months straight. That was the physical torture. The psychological torture was later the denial of his cancer medication. It's amazing. He survived. Wow. Um, and so, uh, yeah, cause he was in remission from stomach cancer, but that can come back if you don't take your meds. So it's incredible. He survived that. They didn't get the cancer back that we know. Uh, but his, t- his teeth were, he said, he's just now going to see a dentist in Venezuela. His teeth were knocked out. And what were they trying to do? They were trying to get two pieces of information from him that he never gave in for. And by the way, the reason why it was five months is because there was a change of presidents. And not to say anything good about Biden, but Biden uh, stopped the torture. and just tortured him a different way, psychological. And they brought him mm-hmm. to Miami instead of freeing him on the trumped-up charge. But uh, uh, so they were trying to get him to
1: torture.
2: <laughs> Jesus, What's Christ.
0: that? I'm like, wow, Biden just switches the torture to psychological like. That's a different kind of Republican. They're going
2: to torture you in a different way. Same foreign (laughs) policy, right? Right. Um, And so, and psychological is is bad, too. It can be just as bad as physical. We know that. Look at Assange. They destroyed Assange psychologically with torture against him, which has been even longer than Alex Saab, but we'll get into that if you like. But, so, they're holding him there. They're trying to find out two pieces of information. Mm -hmm. Uh, They want him to give away the routes of those ships, and, and not just the Iranian ships, but all the different vessels from all over the world, he was able to get together to defy U.S. sanctions so that not as many people died. By the way, still a lot of people died. The U.N. determined, the rapporteurs investigated and determined, uh, led by Manuel DeZaya, very respected uh, U.N. rapporteur. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people that want to Google it, Zaya is spelled D-E space Z-A-Y-A. Uh, I believe his first name is Manuel. Yeah, it is Manuel. One time I called him uh, Zelaya by accident because there's a Honduran president that was Manuel Zelaya, but it's Manuel de Zaya. So anyways, uh, according to his report that he that he uh, oversaw, uh, as of 2020, since the sanctions were implemented by Trump only in only one year's time, about 2019 to 2020, those sanctions killed 100,000 Venezuelans. Yeah. So... You could imagine uh, 2019, 2020, all the way up to finally Biden, he didn't completely lift the sanctions, partial lift, no. 100,000 people a year. And if you just look at the 100,000 figure, let's look at per capita, right? right? That's the equivalent with the U.S. population. because There's only 28 million people in Venezuela now. That's the equivalent of killing 30 million Americans. And 30 million is the approximate amount of Soviets that sacrificed their lives from the Nazi onslaught, more than yep. any other nation in World War II. Just to yep. give you the exact And the numbers are higher. I'm just saying that that portion, that was looked at. But that yeah. 100,000 could have leader. been a million if and that was not for Alex Saab. Because right. he saved so many lives. It's incalculable. We don't even know the, the thousands of lives that he saved. Because the CLAP program, which is like the equivalent of our food stamp or EBT program here in the United States,
1: right?
2: Uh, that was started by Alex Saab. That yeah. food, those medicines, those syringes, the fuel from Iran and other countries that came in—that was because right. of Al aqsa Right. And the US, U.S. knew it, and they were infuriated, and wanted to find a way to get him, even though he was a diplomat. So, for the act of diplomacy, for the act of doing a good job of fighting illegal U.S. sanctions, what the U.N. said were illegal unilateral course of measures—not a way to put it or economic warfare. Because you say sanctions sounds like a surgical procedure, right? It doesn't sound something that's that serious, but it's it's it's, it's economic war. Guerra económica, as you would say in Spanish, and so uh, the uh, the unilateral coercive measures. Um, what was I going to say about that? I mean, it's a form of genocide, really. You know, if you if you think about it, uh, and the, how it's implemented against other countries, um, has not hurt Russia's bad? But it's hurt Iran and other countries in the in the third world. And so, Iran has been allied with Venezuela. They have a common enemy enemy in the U.S. Empire. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's incalculable how many lives that he ended up saving. But it was beautiful to be able to see Maduro stand alongside him in Caracas yeah. and say, the whole time you were tortured and held in Cape Verde, all the supplies, the routes that you establish still got to Venezuela.
0: That's amazing. Right.
2: But even before he was captured, I just want to make this important point, uh, three out of the five vessels that he acquired from Iran were captured international. This is the cruelty of the United States at the height of the COVID, and also Cuba, allied with right. uh, Venezuela. Uh, the right. United States said, "We'll stop doing this to you, Cuba if you stop aligning with Maduro," and it made them solidify even more and fight against the U Empire because they're socialists, they're anti-imperialists. Right. Uh, you know, so they stopped syringes from coming into Cuba, and then they banned their own vaccines. This is this is the resourcefulness of the Cubans. It's nothing new. Look at the special period, in 1990s, when they lost the support of the Soviet Union because of their their fall. Right. They invented a lung cancer vaccine that we Americans don't have access to. That's why if you're a Cuban, you smoke cigar, you never get lung cancer. They live longer than us. Uh, and in so fact, the, the if you are
0: American America, and you're
2: caught Americans going access to, get a... to things that that Cubans have that we don't have. And so right. it's ridiculous.
0: I was going to say, if I read an article, if you're American and you caught in Cuba getting that vaccine, you could be charged for treason.
2: I didn't know that. Yeah, and I'm not surprised by that at all. I'm not surprised by that at all, because they want to prevent American citizens from going to Venezuela, the imperial government. Right. They want to prevent American citizens from going to Cuba. Why is this? Because they do consider them a threat. You remember during the uh, Obama administration, uh, he was a little more diplomatic than, than Biden or yeah. Trump, but he made a lot of mistakes as well or, or terrible right. policies. And right. one of his terrible policies that he did that he, he promised to Maduro he was going to reverse, he didn't. We know about this now. Maduro's been talking about it since Alex Saab came back. Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> yes, it's been
2: very interesting. He it for himself to reveal that revealed that Maduro's revealing it uh, since Alex Saab came back. That he held back before because he thought it might sabotage his diplomat from coming back. Right. But he said Obama told him to his face it was a mistake. He was going to reverse it. But when Obama made, I believe it was a directive, it was like a mandate from the White House, that Venezuela was a, uh, existential or some type of security threat to the United States. At that time, every country from south of the Rio Grande to the tip of Argentina, Including conservative or, or, or centrist governments, because they were pressured by their populations, condemned Washington mm-hmm. for saying that Venezuela was a security threat, because that could be used later to justify further sanctions, which it did, or even possibly military invasion. They sent mercenaries. Among those mercenaries were Americans that were returned to the United States in exchange for Alex Sot because Drew was a reasonable man and he and that was the dialogue and that was the deal that was that was reached.
0: People have but, to look that up, by the way, because but, some people Yeah, so so that
2: that directive um When that came out, I said that Obama was right and everybody was in shock. And and they were like, what do you mean Obama's right? You support Venezuela. Aren't you with the Chavistas? I said, he's a right. They're a threat to the American way of life. I said, what are you talking about? What better way to destroy the myth of capitalism than to have a truly socialist system that in 1999 installed Hugo Chavez that completely transformed the economy and the oppressed nations within Venezuela? Right. To show that system to to working class and poor Americans, especially of oppressed nation backgrounds, is an incredible threat to the imperialists. Absolutely. It's not a security threat.
0: You're showing it's them the right way of doing To, the,
2: to the capitalist way of life. <laughs> and say, in that way, Obama's right. I was being sarcastic, but I was also being truthful that, exactly. yes, they are a threat, but in that regard.
0: Right. No, no, I, I agree. So, how did how did Qatar get into this situation?
2: So, Qatar's an interesting case. So, I don't like monarchies, but I would say Qatar's probably the best monarchy that's on the globe right now. And I'll tell a you a lot of liberals
0: will be mad that you said that.
2: Well, <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you why they're the best. I'm not saying I support them. I'm saying they're the best among the worst. Um the the uh Qataris, which uh Bush the second used to call uh gutter. How does gutter sound like Qatar? Qatar sounds like cigar. That's just
1: stupid. <laughs>
2: people started parroting him. Oh, yeah, the uh, the guttery government. It's not a guttery government. It's not in the gutter. It's Qatar. Um, so the Qataris, that's interesting. So they were the first um, Persian Gulf country to withdraw from the coalition of the Yemeni operation. It was the beginning of the end.
1: Mm.
2: You can either say Yemeni or Yemenis. It's okay. both correct. But, yeah, so the Yemeni operation, uh, you know, the Saudi-led uh, US backed uh, genocide, really, of the Yemeni people, or incredible people standing up for Palestine right now in the Red Sea. Uh, when the Qataris withdrew from that, it was the beginning of the end of that coalition, fell apart. And as a result, like Al Jazeera, which is a Qatari run uh, network, uh, media organization,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, it was banned from Saudi Arabia. You couldn't watch it in Saudi Arabia, and there was there was uh, very big tensions diplomatic tensions between Qatar and Saudi Arabia. Because of those tensions, Qatar started looking towards other allies or Mm -hmm. building allies, including with Venezuela. You have to understand, Venezuela doesn't necessarily agree with the ideology of Turkey or Qatar or anything like that, or even Iran, right? Uh, But they're Mm -hmm. in alliance with them because they have a common enemy. So it's not a uh, political alliance. Let's say it's an economic alliance. They're making deals. They're helping each other out.
0: Like China and Russia.
2: Yeah, like China and Russia, because Russia's not – uh, socialist than like China has. China has at least a semi socialist economy, although yeah. there's a progressive economy in Russia, you could say. Right. Far more than what Yeltsin was trying to do, privatizing everything, right? Right. Um, what, what Putin's doing. Um, so, yeah. So, in that regard, the fact that they're no longer in cahoots with the, with the Saudis and they're no longer in cahoots with the West and they're having a friendly relationship with Iran, a friendly relationship with Venezuela, I think is a positive. It's a good thing. As a matter of fact, now even the Saudis are starting to do business with the Russians. And yeah. uh, so are the Indians. Modi's a right winger. Um, and when Pakistan was doing it, though, because the United States has, is used for Pakistan to be a client regime, they did a coup against Khan, Imran Khan. And Imran Khan, you might not know, when uh, Assad was, was covering that, yep. embassy, he had a show on RT. Yep. At that time, when Khan was running, uh, I believe, his first time for prime minister, um, he was like second place. Mm-hmm. Assange interviewed him and the reason why Assange agreed to have mom is because Assange through Wikileaks found out and Khan w- would love this that he was the only candidate who wasn't corrupt they, they looked into the
1: elements
2: <laughs> and he was the only one didn't have any dirt and so he became Prime Minister later on, he was a, he's a pretty good guy, pretty progressive yeah. uh, but he would stood up to the West and said no I'm going to do business with Putin and then they did the parliamentary coup which was terrible uh, but you know the United States doesn't see India like Pakistan they don't see India as much as a client regime nor do the Saudis, but it's unfortunate that's what happened in Pakistan. Um, uh, Libya, for example, right? You know, I like to get into the international aspect, mm-hmm. especially in regards to Africa. I'm a, I'm a Pan Latin Americanist, but I also believe in Pan Africanism. Um, and by the way, in Latin America, they call themselves Pan Americanists because automatically, America for them is Latin America. But you have to say mm-hmm. the United States Pan Latin America so they understand better what you mean as an international. Right. But in libya for example they recently had said not just malaysia right malaysia was inspired by yemen and almost immediately after blocked israelis from going to their ports over the genocide in gaza right Something similar today at least one of the governments there's there's two parallel governments in libya but i said in response to that in twitter did you see my response to that
0: um no can could you, could well, I you said, everyone?
2: i'm happy to repeat what i said so, yeah. so what i tweeted uh i said if saif al-islam And I met a cousin of Saif al-Islam while in Venezuela. He was one of the observers because Libya's, you know, the the Gaddafis were very close with Chavez. Yeah. Uh, So uh, Saif al-Islam, I said, the son of Muammar Gaddafi, who's in hiding in in Libya. Mm -hmm. I said, if he runs the presidential elections like he tried to before, he'll win. And then Libya will be even more pro-Palestine. You might not remember. I'm a little older. I'm 39. Uh, Back when his father was in power, Saif al-Islam took part in the flotilla not just a Turkish flotilla, the famous uh, IHH for Turkish flotilla, where there was a massive international waters. Remember that? Yeah. After that happened, Libya sent their own flotilla and Saif al-Islam was on board. He wasn't shot, but they, you know, the Israelis sent him back. But oh, uh, okay. Libya has a, has a history of being pro-Palestine. And that goes back to Nasser of Egypt, who helped install Gaddafi. And not mm. as a, not as a client regime, but as an alliance, you know, fellow socialists, Gaddafi, uh, Nasser, Pan-Africanist, pan arabists working together. Uh,
0: That's beautiful
2: big admirer of Gaddafi, great Egyptian uh, socialist. Um, Yeah, Nasser was uh, an Egyptian uh, socialist, right?
0: Well, uh, you just said it.
2: (laughs) Nasser's legacy. And then, of course, the the NATO operation in 2011 in in Libya was a complete disaster. Mm. And at that time, Hillary, not to to praise Biden by any means, but Hillary was to the right of Biden. He actually was against going into Libya. Although Biden was in favor of going into Iraq. He says he regrets it. Of course. That's, That's the position that he took.
0: Right. Right, of course. Um, so my my so I, I I got understanding of how Qatar got into it. I just didn't understand. I I felt like it was random, but. That just means that I don't know that much about Qatar. So no, no, it wasn't. Means- the,
2: Qatar had been having good relations with Venezuela since it ruptured relations a few right. years ago with Saudi Arabia. So I wasn't surprised they were involved in the dialogue. They're also involved in helping Hamas fighters out, uh, taking some of their leadership, helping in yeah. the negotiations. I don't call them hostages. Helping in negotiations with the prisoners of war that are held in, in Gaza. You see, it's mm-hmm. important that we're careful about the language that we use. We don't acquire the language of the imperialists. You change your language, you change your thinking, right?
1: Mm-hmm. I'll
2: give you an example. Um, I do not call them hostages, not because I don't feel sympathy for them. Some of them were civilians. Um, It's because it's a war. They want to define it as a war, then fine. They're prisoners of war. But I would say it's a genocidal war. It's not a normal war where you have both sides having equal arms. Hamas is yeah. not an official army. They don't have near as many weapons as Israel. But when it comes to hand-to-hand combat, they're kicking Israels. But they will in, in Lebanon with Hezbollah. Why is that? Because the Israelis are cowards. The Zionists are used to bombing babies, uh, You know, bombing churches, bombing mosques. When it actually comes acting like men and fighting hand-to-hand combat, they're usually on the run. Right. They usually right. have to rely on, on on snipers from a distance. And actually, right. one of the first snipers they sent into Gaza since October seventh was Netanyahu's uh, uh, nephew, who was killed because Hamas were able to find him uh, before he could kill more uh, civilians.
1: Oh wow! Well, that's what I they target.
2: Remember. The snipers wow. target press with press on them. Right. You know, like they're targeting civilians. They don't know who's Hamas who's not. They don't care. They're yeah, there to They're there to commit a genocide to do a transfer of population, ethnic cleansing.
0: Yeah. And this is something that they did before in lebanon for people that um that, that don't know the history like this isn't a new tactic that the idf is doing this is this is just being rebranded
2: well it's and, hannibal directive 2.0 so are you familiar with that term hannibal directive speaking of direct yeah is
0: that referring to um the the law where if they have a civilian if they have a civilian captive that is we'll um, super okay. official israeli super official
2: means it's not official okay but it's still implemented Okay, So it's uh, it's para-official or super-official, whatever term you want to use, it's from Latin,
1: um, mm-hmm. law.
2: So I would say it's a 2.0, at least para-official law now in the military code of, of Israel um, because there's secret laws as well. Um, right. It used to only apply to Israeli soldiers that were captured by Hamas or other militants. Right. Um, now it's clearly involving civilians, not only because they use tanks and aerial bombardments of Israeli civilians – on October mm. 7th. We know that now.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, but uh, they've, IDF killed, a they've killed civilians that were Israelis, redheaded, no clothes on, speaking perfect Hebrew with their hands up. Shot them Waving once. They were Israeli. Went there and shot them again, make sure they were dead. Because right. they're following strict orders to kill every civilian possible, including their own people, because they want to say, oh, Hamas killed them. Yes. But the thing yeah. is that we're in the information age. We're in the Internet age. So it comes out that they were speaking Hebrew, they knew who they were, and they still killed them. And they said, oh, fog of war. Bullshit fog of war.
0: (laughs) Take that, John. I was the
2: father of one of those so-called hostages. And I saw my son in a video with his hands in the air. They shot him once. He could have survived. They went and shot him again in the head. I would say the Israelis just killed my son. Yep. And, and so, yeah, the family members, a lot of those prisoners of war, they're pissed at the Israeli regime now. They're pissed at that Yahoo's a corrupt son of a bitch. I hate to swear, but he is. And, yeah. you know, hopefully he'll be tried for war crimes and for corruption, which his own people have been trying to try him for as well. Although there's a conspiracy theory going on, I don't necessarily agree with. What is that? Uh, that this is all a false flag that he co- co- cooperated with the on. I don't agree with that. I believe because of yeah, his imperial arrogance. Yeah. We have to understand Zionism is a form of colonialism, white supremacism, and imperialism. And Che understood that. See, a lot of people know this. And Che in 1959, as a diplomat for the Cuban Revolutionary Government that was just installed, went to visit Nasser's Egypt. And one of the first things he asked him when he arrived in Cairo is, I want to go see the oppressed people of Palestine. Because at that time, Gaza was under Egyptian control. And he went there. There's a photo. Malcolm X also went to Gaza. There's no photos of that. There is actually a photo of Che in Gaza in 1959. Right. So Che believed that as well. He was an anti-imperialist. He believed Zionism was a form of imperialism. Uh, And that was before 1967, but it was, you know, 11 years after uh, the formation of Israel in
1: 1948.
2: Uh, And so uh, the uh, POWs, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's clear. They want to kill as many of them as possible. Also because some of them reveal the truth. They had an older woman come out, who was a Mm -hmm. peace activist, by the way. Mm-hmm. And she was one of the f- first to be released because of Qatari and, Egy- and Egyptian mediation. The Israelis don't care; they don't want their people back. We know that they don't—they don't care about human life.
0: They um, just denied a deal earlier. For people to understand, yeah. they just denied a, a release deal earlier. Like literally two three so they days all ago. the time.
2: That they they yeah. multiple times. i been paying yeah. attention, but 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 there was an older woman that came out in a press conference, and they 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 hounded her in the press after the Poor woman. Uh, and I believe it was intentional she was one of the first to go because Hamas understood she was a civilian, she was an older woman, she had helped Palestinians out before, she was a peace activist. They probably wanted her to get out early, and the Israelis prevented it, right? Because they could have killed her when they are trying to release her. They had to release her to the Egyptian side of the border, the Rafah.
0: Mm.
2: If they tried to bring her to a raz, to the, to the Israeli side, they probably would have killed her. Um, but uh, when she came out in the press conference, she said they treated her with respect, they gave her medicine, they gave her food. Um, and then she was just hounded by, by, by the hysterical Zionists after that poor woman. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, that's the truth. I mean, they, you have uh, survivors of October 7th who weren't killed by the Israelis who said, you know, that they were had, you know, Hamas fighters in their home temporarily who were fleeing from the Israelis. And they didn't take any of them because they were civilian. And there were different groups and there was some lack of coordination. So, yeah, some some civilians were taken accidentally. I don't believe that was the intent. Uh, but it was it was, you know, a crazy situation. Uh, mm-hmm. And so uh, they were talking about how they asked permission to have a banana like this is in Hebrew. These are Israeli survivors. They said that he asked me permission if I could please have a banana. They treated me with respect and they left. They said, don't worry, we're Muslims. We're not going to hurt you. You're a civilian. And they left. And so they try to cover up these stories or the stories of the survivors saying that the Israelis bombed them, other Israelis, yeah. even when they were surrendering, when the, when the Hamas fighters were surrendering. Um, but their
0: stories are all over TikTok. And also, do you they, see they all the aerial well.
2: bombardments, Mint Press, who's interviewed me once, they're, they're doing great coverage of this. Uh-huh. Uh, aerial bombardments of the music festival. Yeah. Where most of the civilians were killed. They right. were probably 90% killed by Israelis so far from what, what I've seen. And what I don't get is the survivors of the music festival, they're suing the Israeli security forces. I mentioned this on right. tour the other day, too. They're, they're, they're suing the Israeli military forces not for murdering them, which we all know is the truth now. Right. But for negligence. Yeah. What? Yeah. Negligence? Yeah. I'm confused here. Like, how is it negligent? You're you're sending helicopters, uh, what do they call them, uh, gunships. U.S. Apache helicopter gunships sent yep. to Israel to kill their yep. own people on October 7th to justify this genocide. And you saw them in the air. They know you killed them, but no, you're going to go along with the narrative and just sue them for negligence. Negligence. No part of the Zionist contradictions and, and hypocrisies that we're witnessing, comrade.
0: There's literally IDF soldiers that have been recorded admitting that they shot their own people. So the America can oh, say wait, whatever they want.
2: There's a difference. There's a difference between <laughs> friendly can fire. Say whatever they want. There's a difference between friendly fire, and I hate that term, but that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it's called. Uh, there's a difference between friendly fire and intentionally targeting your own people. This right. is not friendly fire. It no, flies in the face of the history of the Hannibal Directive. We know that. All the evidence is showing the contrary.
1: Yep, yep.
2: And by the yep. way, Alex Saab's father uh, is Lebanese. Uh, was Lebanese. He died from COVID, unfortunately. That's right. Um, his Alex mother, Saab is mother a... Palestinian heritage. They were immigrants from the Middle East that migrated okay. to Colombia, and the son ended up in Venezuela and became part of the the Maduro's government.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But he has you know origins in the Middle East, right. um, and he did a great job as a diplomat.
0: Well, let's move on to uh, Guyana and Latin America. Um, so is Guyana still answering to the UK or are they identified as a independent nation, but still like kind of like how Canada has a relationship with the UK still, but they still are independent.
2: So there was a dialogue. And you, it was brilliant, the promo you set up, by the way. I loved it mm-hmm. because it shows Biden in the middle trying to divide Ali and Maduro exactly what's happening. Right. Uh, and also the British are taking part You in caught that. that. And, Thank and you. And that dividing. <laughs> right, which is the term came up from the imperialist Julius Caesar, who actually was right. kind of a more benevolent imperialist comparison to today. But that's another matter. Uh, you'd have to look at Michael Prentice's book about that. But, uh, you know, so uh, Ali and Maduro reach a deal. Mm-hmm. And part of that deal is under no conditions. I'm sorry, under no circumstances would a foreign power intervene in the Caribbean or between Guyana and Venezuela. And what's what happens within days? The British send a battleship, right. not just to Guyana. They send it to the border region and the, in the very region that's being disputed, has oil Exxon there. It's yep. called Essequibo.
1: Yep.
2: Uh, and so, you know, they said a battleship is Essequibo right after this. What message is that sending? And Ali claims that it had nothing to do with him. That means he's got no control of his country then. That means he's still run by the British. And, and let's that's go back why I to the
1: yep, yep. Let's go back to the history. We have
2: to understand the history. Yep. So in 1831, this is a year after the death of Simone Bolivar. Okay. Who abolished slavery?
0: The liberator,
2: and who liberated? I'll name all the countries right now, from north to south: Panama, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia, named after him. Colombia, Venezuela. Was that Seven Nations? Yeah. All of that was freed by liberating armies of Venezuela under the command of, of uh, Simone Bolivar. And it's so, right, Boulevard, one of the first things he did, he got the Haitian support. They, they said, you, "You, We'll give you support, but you need to end slavery. He said, Of course, I'm against slavery, anyways. And so, he abolished slavery when he got back to Venezuela under lands that are to today in Esquibo. That was freed land that belonged to Venezuela. The, the slaves there were freed by Bolivar. That's just a fact. Nobody can dispute.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, the oligarchs took over in Venezuela. They ousted the liberator. He died in Colombia on the coast in 1830. By 1831, those same oligarchic sellouts and their descendants who fought Chavez, right, who are among the Venezuelan opposition today, the more whiter skinned upper-class Venezuelans, right, senators of the Spaniards, those oligarchs made a deal with the British to put them back in chains and to give that land away into the into the colonial project, the slave colony of Guyana in eighteen thirty one that's just a fact uh can you hold on one second?
0: yeah, no problem. we're back wow, just understanding the history of that is very very important guys um because i've learned I'm learning a lot of i've been reading about Sabone boulevard um and Understanding the history on how these borders were made and the impact that is still till this day, still to this day, um, we are suffering from this colonial rule. And it has not changed as much as people think it has, because if it did, the UK would have never brought their warships towards Venezuela after Guyana has made a deal with Maduro in Venezuela. It's very contradictory. Um, So that's why it's very important to talk about that part because the media today is talking about 24-7 that Guyana is going to be invaded by Venezuela, that Venezuela wants to steal oil from Guyana, and they don't want to mention the the history. They're keeping it black and white. The, The black and whiteness is that Venezuela... We told the liberals they're corrupt, so we're gonna go off of that part and say that Venezuela wants to invade Guyana. So now, all of a sudden, Venezuela is seen as a a powerful entity. When the whole time they were saying that Venezuela isn't a powerful entity. The whole time they were saying Maduro's government is going to collapse. Maduro's government is weak. But from understanding how powerful Maduro's uh, army is. I mean, it's comparable to uh, Brazil. So knowing that, you know, the contradictories, (laughs) they're going to say, oh, they're going to go after Guyana. So now all of a sudden Venezuela is powerful enough to invade the country and (laughs) take the resources, even though they have literally the largest oil reserves in the entire world. So to make it seem like Venezuela needs oil when the whole time U.S. imperialism has been trying to steal Venezuela's oil, especially under Chavez and now, It's very, very interesting to me. Very,
1: I'm very
2: back, comrade. I had to take that. Um, but yeah, so 1831 um, is the year that uh, Guyana was formed. In its first few years, there was slavery going on because they put those uh, Black people that were brought... To Venezuela originally from the Spaniards, that were freed by Bolivar when the Spaniards were kicked out, the Spanish imperialists, uh, they put them back in chains. And so there was, um, I don't want to name names, I would call her a bourgeois historian who went on a, on a leftist show um, uh, not too far back and said that she said, quote unquote, used to be part of Venezuela, in quotes. And by the way, she was African. How can mm. you put in quotations a people that were freed and, 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 by, and by the way i want to stress this indigenous mestizo right. and black people were fought on the front lines alongside bolivar to free to free those people from slavery to end the spanish domination in the region and, and and not only not to thank venezuela for freeing that what is Guyana today uh but to say in quotations what a denial of history. <laughs> denial of, of, the, <laughs> of the thousands of venezuelans that gave their lives to free latin america to end we america have to decolonize
0: <laughs>
2: so they say oh quote unquote it was part of venezuela do your history if you're an historian you know and you're ignoring then you're being a bourgeois right
0: right right, right.
2: and right. you know how many guyanese people would love to have a social system in their country would love to have venezuelan passports
1: what is There's the no system
2: calling for this Mm. Because their their system now is a capitalist system. They have a puppet mm. regime run by West Indian elites like Ali. He's not black. He's a West Indian. Mm-hmm. Those are the elites that were left over by the British to control the country as a continuation of British colonialism in the region.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: you think ExxonMobil, did any? Of that money's going to trickle down from the oil they found there. It serves the elites. It serves the comprador class, the sellout class. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that oil would be used in a socialist system to better the Venezuelan economy and better the Siquebo economy had the Venezuelans take over there. Instead, they reached a deal. They did dialogue with elite, But now Ali's not fulfilling his end of the bargain because he's letting the British send in a, a battleship. Right. Give me a break.
1: It's and very It's
2: not Venezuela, but it's symbolic, you understand? Right. It's, it's, it's an aggressive diplomacy, sending a, a terrible message. That's what people don't understand because they don't understand the, the history. They don't understand the context of what's going on here.
0: Right. So what 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 is Maduro's response to the Anglo-Saxons setting up shop near his shores.
2: Very strong response. He said, this is a clear violation of our agreement. And Ali's response is very weak. He says, oh, I have no control over what ships they send here. Then you're admitting you're a colony. You're admitting you don't run your own country. Maybe you should call yeah. for Venezuela to come help out then. <laughs> you it's know very, what I'm saying?
0: That's a very weak statement. Because
2: the prior <laughs> president, I don't remember his name right now, but, but the prior president of Guyana, hmm was a black man who was progressive, who was negotiating with Maduro, who was prepared to give some of the Scebo up. Right. What happened? The United States backed Ali, what, three years ago now, um, and put the full weight of their of their influence behind Ali, and he took over and immediately ruptured negotiations with, with Venezuela started doing an antagonistic moves. And here we are today, but people don't want to look at the history, just like Ukraine, unprovoked. It started on 2022. No, it started exactly. at least in 2014 with the U.S.-backed coup in Kiev. You have to look at the history. You have to look at the historical context. I'm actually trained as an historian. I'm glad you mentioned I'm a historian. A lot of people don't know that about me. Uh, you know, when I went to college, I learned the Chicago uh, Manual of Citation. And so one of my programs was in history. I've also studied communications to do journalism and whatnot. Uh, but I don't want to be a journalist in the United States because mm-hmm. I want to be successful at what I do. And to be successful at what you do, uh, at least, you know, it's facilitated by selling out, right? And I'll never sell out. So I won't do in the journalism route now. I'll do activism. I'll teach history, real history, like Michael Parenti, who is a great historian I'm inspired by, like Howard Zinn. Um, I'll go into linguistics. I'll teach Spanish. Linguistics, Chomsky, right? Mm-hmm. Not that I agree with Chomsky and everything, but he's made a lot of contribution to, to intellectual progress. I've met him before. And so Chomsky was in Venezuela, by the way, met, met Chavez. Chavez showed Chomsky. Oh, really? UN. I remember when this happened. I was living in Spain at the time. Um, And so, you know, uh, a lot of American intellectuals have sought out Chavez, and even some celebrities. And I would say Maduro's not as charismatic as Chavez, but he's just as brave as Chavez. He's a great man also. It's it's no coincidence he was his vice president. That's nothing. So people complain that Maduro became president after after Chavez, right? Including Jorge Mm -hmm. Ramos, who's a fake journalist. Don't get me started on him. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you know, when Kennedy was killed, even before Jackie Kennedy's blouse was dried of his blood, Johnson was immediately sworn. Remember that infamous picture of Johnson with his hand on the Bible and then poor Jackie still grief yeah. stricken yep. alongside him? Yep. And so that didn't happen in Venezuela. And Venezuela, against all odds, while well, the nation was mourning and didn't want to go out and vote within a few weeks of Chavez's death, there was an election. And that's how Maduro was elected. In so many ways, they're more democratic than the United States. What hypocrisy, what imperial arrogance to judge how the Venezuelans conduct their democracy and how their diplomats conduct themselves. When our government, it's not even our government, when the imperialist government had took part in kidnapping and torture operations, uh, uh, rendition, what's it called? Extraordinary rendition, whatever the imperial terms they use to justify these methods. These are inquisitorial methods that they did against Alex Saab. And he never gave in. Because he was guided by the Bolivarian principles of socialism of Chavez and Maduro, that's the truth.
0: Yep. Yeah, I mean, back back. Uh, Maduro was a bus driver. A man who
2: loves cats. I see the background anything. there. A man who <laughs> loves cats it makes me think of Lenin. That famous footage of Lenin with the cat in his lap. I love cats.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those, those are my quick kids. analogy
2: because I like to, to get off topic a little bit. It's, it's still uh related. You're fine. It's a tangent. Uh. So the cats, this is why I hate the Inquisition, right? I lived in Spain for a couple of years. Inquisition did terrible things. And among the terrible things it did, and it it was an Inquisition in France and Germany that was even worse than Spain, by the way. Uh, But uh, because it was larger in scope. Uh, Mm -hmm. In Spain, they only went after conversos and uh, moriscos, which was terrible. I'm just saying it wasn't as big in scope. If
1: Mm -hmm. you were a
2: converso and morisco, it meant that you are a descendant of a former Jew or Muslim that stayed in the country that didn't flee. And they wanted to make sure that you were still Catholic, so they tortured you sometimes. It was terrible. Made you go through all types of humiliations, made you eat pork, terrible. Um, but the German and French inquisitions that I've studied extensively actually went after witchcraft. So if you didn't like your neighbor, just call them a witch and they'll torture them. That's pretty big in scope, isn't it? But, anyways, yeah. these different inquisitions that were going on, because at that time, the, the monarchs were all Catholic. There wasn't Protestants yet. Uh, or even, I mean, the Protestants with significant power it existed. Martin Luther had been out there who started Protestantism. Uh, but, anyways, this is where I'm going to get into the cats.
1: <laughs>
2: they killed off. All the cats in Western Europe, or virtually all of them, some of them fled to the hills um, because they associated them with witchcraft, not just black cats, all color cats.
1: Jesus and what Christ. do cats do?
2: Cats protect the grain supply, cats kill off all the rodents, they protect us from, from disease, they protect our food. And so there's famine. And that's when the so called Black Plague, which is really the bubonic plague, because Black Plague is a racist term, as you know, that's when the bubonic plague emerged. And while in the Middle East, where they love their cats, they tend to prefer cats to dogs in Egypt or whatnot. Uh, like, like the like kill Patrick cats, uh, they, they were in abundance. Uh, uh, their economies uh, thrived while Europe, you know, they were going back to the Stone Age because of uh, the religion and killing off of cats. And so, I have a lot of respect for cats.
1: Mm.
0: That's that's deep. <laughs> I just learned something right now about
1: Spain. Well, the origin
2: of every word you can think of. Well, <laughs> what do they call police pigs? I alluded to it earlier. It goes back 500 years. They first started calling police pigs because of a division of the of the inquisitorial police in Spain. And they called that division, la División de Puerco, which means the pork division. What were they in charge of? Going to the homes of moriscos and conversos and making the meat pork. Hence, pigs or oh, wow. police. <laughs> and who were the first police in this country? They ran around with, with, uh, with copper badges. That's why they called them cops. Slave catchers. Mm-hmm. They were going down to Florida yep. to try to prevent the Seminoles from rescuing runaway slaves that defeated the US in three wars, as I mentioned in my speech. Right. But they don't want to tell you the origin of that. They don't want to nope. make a Hollywood movie about that because Hollywood's run by imperialists and Zionists. You know that. They won't yeah. show that. You can maybe find an independent documentary on that if you don't like the reading. But there's there's virtually unknown that these three wars that went down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And 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 they were union busters, all that man. They they it was the it was yes. very, very that's why I don't trust damn people for people that are listening you know I don't trust. well they're like go to the <laughs>
2: FBI they will protect the black lives the FBI are you kidding me have you right. heard of COINTELPRO? Pro there's go Pro 2.0 3.0 etc go Pro. this stuff's still going on man what do you think they're going after hulu 3 this right. is a federal case you know that
0: right right um lastly before we uh before because we, see we're here for an hour this is a great show and I hope everyone's listening and learning a lot we got to talk about Julian Assange case. Absolutely.
2: I mentioned him earlier. I, whatever you need to know about him.
0: Yeah. So what are the updates towards getting him released? Is there any?
2: Movement? I believe the same day that they freed Alex Saab, Stella Assange, uh-huh. the wife of Alex Saab. And I've met the wife. I'm sorry, the wife of Julian Assange. I met the wife of Alex Sab, uh, but not her yet. I've met mm-hmm. the other members of Assange's family, though.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: Stella Assange came out on Twitter and, and was congratulating Alex Saab for his freedom and hoping that her husband could be next. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is, I think I mentioned to you this before off the air, there is a Spanish jurist named Balthazar Garzon, mm. who was actually, I didn't mention this part to you, he was responsible for making the arrest warrant against Allende when he fled to Margaret Thatcher's Britain. Okay. So that fascist Allende, when he had to stay in Britain in exile, and couldn't return to Chile, that's because of Balthazar Garzon on behalf of Chilean Spanish uh, nationals that were victim, okay. victims of Pinochet's reign. Um nice. And so this same judge got involved in the Assange case as part of his international defense team and an Alex Saab case later on, interestingly enough. But their cases are similar because it has to do with extraterritoriality, right? So extraterritorial, uh, extraterritorial boundaries, U.S. is trying to grab what? Assange for the act of journalism exposing war crimes done by right. the U.S. Just as Assad for the act of diplomacy, fighting illegal U.S. sanctions is being punished as well. Um, and so there are similarities between the two cases. They're trying to extradite him, which is, again, let's not use the imperial terms here, right? It's a kidnapping. Yeah. It's a yeah, kidnapping. They... they kidnapped Alex Saab on two occasions. We know that. And they're trying to kidnap... us. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. They kidnapped Alex Saab on two occasions. They're trying to kidnap Assange again uh, by sending him from Britain to the United States. He belongs back in his country in Australia, by the way. We know that. But they're trying to bring him here. And it would essentially be the, the coup de grace, as they say in French, the final death blow
1: mm.
2: uh, to investigative journalism, if he's brought here. That's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. And they put him in another dungeon. He's in the London dungeon now. They put him in a dungeon in Virginia, or wherever they, they plan to send him, Colorado. I, mean, I think the trial would be in Virginia, they send him to Colorado, some maximum security prison. Um, and then they'd Epstein him. They'd Epstein him. People talking about Epstein today, the, the release of the list, they do probably a fake suicide of the guy, or may, he might even kill himself, because of the, the psychological torture. So we need to prevent him from being brought here. He need to be returned to Australia with his family. Just yeah. as Alexei was returned. Because Alex was returned, it gives me hope that so will, will Assange, who I've been supporting for years as well.
1: Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, because this is just, this is, like you said, this is like literally putting a dagger into journalism. And the fact that a president like Joe Biden can just go on stage and talk about how, He supports journalism. I remember this speech. I remember this speech. Literally saying that we protect our journalists. American journalists are being shot and killed by the IDF. I say nothing about that. We literally somehow grab an Australian journalist just because he made us look bad.
2: Because of WikiLeaks, under the leadership of Assange, the Arab Spring happened. Because they showed how the despots were corrupt and it, 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 that were in charge of the Arab uh, uh, regimes that were under the sphere of, of the West, and the people, the people rose up as a result. Right. And a lot of people don't know that. He didn't try to take credit for it. He didn't come in as the white savior.
0: Exactly. That's what a lot of
2: press nations don't understand. They think, oh, Assange trying to take credit for the Arab Spring. No, quite the contrary, but it's just a fact. The yeah. WikiLeaks revelations helped the Arab Spring happen, and then what happened? Within months, indignados happened in Spain. They had their own movement. Then what? Occupy. I took part of that. Right. All of that was thanks, at least in large part, uh, to these WikiLeaks revelations under the leadership of Assange. Nobody can negate that. Nobody can mm-hmm. deny that.
0: Yep. And that goes against the ruling class line. So he's going around pissing off the ruling class. Journalists are not supposed to be friendly with these Fox News. We're and supposed, to the They're, supposed to be
2: adversarial. The journalist is supposed to be adversarial. That's real journalism. The Those politicians
0: should be afraid that there's a journalist in the room. Not go and shake the journalist's hand and go on $2 million cocktail meetings and all this stuff and, oh, how's your kids? You go, Don't ask journalists, how's your kids?
2: You, you don't ask politicians a- how your kids as a journalist either. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't get, you don't get personal. And also, right. the question of objectivity. Let me tell you, historically speaking, when I was studying history, I love this. Um, The word bias is actually not negative Um, it, when it comes to historical linguistics, academically.
0: Mm. But
2: when you say bias, of course, in journalism, that's the worst possible thing you can be. But they are all, all biased. They're pretending to be objective. They're pretending to be neutral. They're pretending to be agnostic when it's quite right. the contrary. And so that type of journalism, I don't have any respect for. Adversarial journalism, the real intent of it, keeping the, the, the power in check of, of the government, that type I do respect. But you can be why... with activism as long as you're honest about it. You say, hey, look, exactly. I'm not objective, but here's the evidence. Right. What about truth? Right?
0: Right. Do you think that he'll be able to see his family?
2: Well, his wife visits him, his children visit him in the dungeon, but that's very limited, right? Mm-hmm. The real question is will he be returned to Australia? I really hope he will be this year. I really mm. hope. Because that will Australia- be a victory for the movement for transparency. Just as the freedom of Alex Saba is a victory for the movement against sanctions against imperialism and socialism, showing right. how a socialist businessman with principles stood up to the US empire and never sold out. And in the end, it was returned. As a hero, as a national hero.
0: Right. Exactly. And 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 with that I hope that we can we we can also have that victory also for Julian Assange. Um I hope Australia gets a backbone, which they probably won't but it's going to be the people. They've only recently
2: been advocating for him because ever since the 1970s in the U.S. backed a coup in Australia, they're under their sphere as well. This is a predominantly white country, although there's a largely uh, immigrant like Filipino and, of course, the indigenous, I mean, the aboriginals, they call them. Right. Uh, but, you know, even a largely white country, if it starts to get out of line, the U.S. will do a coup against it as well.
0: Of course. Ukraine. not <laughs>
2: Ukraine. I mean, strategically, <laughs> Australia is near Asia, near Indonesia. Right. Not far from Malaysia, here, actually. Right. Uh, the next coup could be in Malaysia because Malaysia has been acting independently. They've been rising up against Israel. Uh, there could be another war in Yemen. The Saudis mm-hmm. are done of killing Yemenis. The Saudis have been doing the right thing lately, actually.
1: They're yeah.
2: we're, we're not going to stop what they're doing in the Red Sea. You deal with it. We don't have the balls to stand up for Palestine, but at least we're going to say we're not going to go fight the Yemenis again. And also, the Yemenis guerrilla are pretty badass. They don't have the weapons the Saudis do, but they were kicking Saudi's ass. That's part of yeah. the reason why they withdrew as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, well. Before we go, we gotta we gotta mention the attack that happened in Iran. Um, it, it, it comes off as a coincidence after the terrorist attack that happened in Lebanon, which killed in Hamas. The, the, Not the only that, you need, to, leader, you need to understand what happened Indiana, in Syria.
2: Syria. Oh, yeah, yeah. So one of the most closest comrades to Soleimani. Mm-hmm. Can't think of his name right now, but Soleimani, of course, everybody knows who that is. The Trump right. assassinated him. Right. Uh, he was one of the most important Iranian generals that was in Iraq on a peace mission, actually. The same peace, yes. peace mission that China mediated later between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Right. So they could restore relations and the Saudis that would draw from, from Yemen, do the right thing. Right. Um, and so uh, uh, this this general was killed in Syria. And in Lebanon, it wasn't Hezbollah that was targeted. It was uh, something else could have happened since we've been talking, right? There's constantly stuff going on. But I, I believe you're talking about when the Hamas fighters that are hosted in Lebanon were killed. And they could yes. co- target them in Qatar next. Who knows? Um, but I'm not talking about that. I said you need to look at Syria because Syria, uh, right before this happened, they killed an Iranian general, and and then and and then this probably Mossad operation, mm-hmm. they killed a number of civilians near the gravesite site of Soleimani. Yes, probably conducted by the same agents that were that were in Syria, probably going through the Golan, which is Israeli territory. Well, Israeli occupied territory that borders Syria. It's really Syrian territory.
0: Israeli really Syrian. Yep. Yep.
2: Yeah. And so they probably went you know, through their agents in Golan to assassinate this Iranian general. And then they use their agents in Iran uh, to conduct this other terrorist operation. But I wouldn't be surprised if the, if the hands of the, of the Mossad are all over this, probably with cooperation with the CIA.
0: Or ISIS, do you think?
2: ISIS are almost not? existent
0: ISIS have worked with the IDF before.
2: Well, it's more than that, right? The Mossad, uh, uh, the Mossad and the CIA virtually invented ISIS. Right. But they're non-existent now because of people like Soleimani and the Russians that went in and, and defeated them.
0: hmm. OK. OK. See, that's why I wanted clarity on. So because Iran is conducting this this investigation and I have a feeling that Israel was a part of this. They're going
2: to retaliate. They're going to retaliate. Yes. And exactly. Hezbollah and Iran have a lot more weapons than Hamas. Yeah. This is going to escalate pretty quickly. I'm not saying really. it's going to get to World War III, but it's going to escalate pretty quickly. And finally, not. the United States is going to have to use its influence to say Israel stop the genocide because the Yemenis and the Red Sea are going to make commerce impossible and all these other uh, regional uh, escalation. The United States is going to have to, in its own imperial interest, not out of uh, benevolency, put a stop to it and, and tell its client regime, not really its client regime, tell its ally, its so-called ally. The United States only follows interests, not allies. But tell mm-hmm. its is its, its Israeli partner that it feels is an interest to back to back off in Gaza. We'll see what happens.
0: Yep, I guess we'll have to see. Um, so, Alex, is there anything that you would like to uh, tell my audience uh, before well, we... If anybody's
2: uh, on Twitter, because I was banned from Facebook four years ago.
0: Um, out on Twitter. And you
2: can't post politics on Instagram. That's run by Zuckerberg as well. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and I call Zuckerberg Zuckerberg. He's a sucker for the imperialists. We know that. He's also yep. a Zionist. Yep. But, yep. Uh, you know, find me on Twitter. Alar Arsuarez. That's my author name as well, for the different books that I've written.
1: Link I wrote in a book the bio
2: the case called The Diplomat that's in three languages that's been vindicated now that Sob is freed that was came out in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you can find me on Twitter or look at my books that way on Amazon.
0: I want to thank you so much, Alex, for coming on, and definitely you are welcome to come back on the show in the near future. Um, we could do a panel, whatever. Um, and everybody that's listening, want to thank everyone for coming out. And, and listening to this great conversation, and I hope that people absorbed a lot of information that Suarez was giving because it was a lot of great information to give you full understanding on what's going on. And like I said, like I always say, this is a conversation from actual looking into the research and looking at sources that comply with what is reality. And going,
2: there, and, and going there and going to the courts in Miami for all exactly. the time. When you're there, you really get a sense of what's going on. And the United States imperial government wants to prevent the youth and others from going to these places, from knowing right. about these things with good reason. Because once right. you know the truth, it inspires you to act as you should.
0: And when you look at my glasses and his glasses, you see no teleprompter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, you didn't reveal a single question that you were going to give me. And I insisted on that. I said, I want this to be live. I want to speak from the heart. And, right. and that's what we did, brother.
0: Yep, so I'm I'm very happy to have this episode with you, and looking many more to, to talking with you in the future, and hopefully marching with you in D.C. real soon, brother.
2: Or maybe come down to Florida. We're trying to plan something.
0: Oh <laughs> yeah, I would love to piss DeSantis off. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we call him the Satan instead of DeSantis. Yeah, I've committed the, the Satanist ones. Yeah, don't get me started on him. We have to do a whole other show about that.
0: Oh, yes, hell <laughs> yeah! I would love to sit and talk about that.
2: Asshole. <laughs> well, all right, brother,
0: have peace. a really good day, my brother, and everybody out there in the airways. Have a really good day, peace and solidarity
1: and free Palestine.